Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode number 31 of season two of Run of the Mills podcast series, The Daily Run. I have too many names for my things. Keeping up with the king. That's what we're doing. We are in Matthew chapter five in the greatest sermon of all time. Um, Not what I'm sharing with you. No, we're talking about Jesus' sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And he is talking about the kingdom and uh, the kingdom of heaven his kingdom that he is bringing in, which is a very different kingdom than, uh, than the people were expecting a very different kingdom than the Jews were expecting in particular, as they were expecting the Messiah to come and to, um, lead them to cast off the bondage of, of the Roman empire, uh, under whose power they were, uh, rather he came to set them free from a much greater power than Rome. That being the power of sin and death. So, Hey, Let's uh, let's start at the beginning and we'll just go through this. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Now, before I tell you what he says, there's some interesting things here. First of all, if you are not aware, he goes and he sits down to teach. Now, for me, this is one of those things that... Um, as a teacher and when I train teachers, uh, I, I always tell them, don't sit down when you teach. Don't sit down when you teach. Stand up, keep moving around, be active, um, have movement that uh, keeps people interested, keeps people engaged. Um, but what's fascinating about this is that if you do sit down when you teach, if you have your students all stand, they don't fall asleep course it is pretty hard to stand for that long and listen to somebody i suppose but is it harder to stand that long and listen to somebody than it is to stand that long and talk to people well i don't know because i don't think i've ever stood through a 50 minute sermon um except for ones i was giving huh strange so anyway that was their tradition that was what they did the teacher taught sat and the people stood and he opened his mouth and taught them saying um which is kind of funny because it says he opened his mouth and you'd think like um, he's not a ventriloquist. Apparently he's not teaching with his mouth shut. No, what it means is he spoke loudly. Like he, he spoke out to the multitude. That's when he opened his mouth. It doesn't just mean like his mouth opened when he spoke, because that would be funny. Uh, all right. So he says this blessed or blessed, depending on how you want, want to pronounce that one. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty good start when you're talking about the kingdom of heaven, uh, when Jesus comes to to preach the kingdom of heaven. Well, who says the kingdom of heaven? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, this is one of those things, again, where where it's, um, I always think it's fascinating. Like, what do the people there think? Like, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, but but when you see Jesus' whole ministry and you think about the things he said, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. Well, whose is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, right? Those of us who are poor in spirit, we are, we are, well, that, who is that? Well, that's, we're all born. We're all born dead in our sins, spiritually dead, Right we're we are bankrupt we have nothing to offer but but when you recognize that 
when you recognize like, look, I have, I come to Jesus with nothing. I don't come with some great, some great offerings. Sometimes people get that idea. Like I'm offering Jesus all I have. What do you got? What do you got that he desperately needs? Like if he needs something, he can make it. You know, if he needs somebody to say something, he can get somebody else. I, you might not like that. You might think, well, wait, what? I, I've always been told like God created me and, and he has a purpose for my life. And if I don't do that purpose, then it's not going to get done. And, and the world's going to be a sadder place. You know, I think if he just wants something done, he's going to, he can get it done. Right. He can get rocks to do it. If people don't, if the people don't shout out Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it says, you know, hey, the rocks will shout out. So, hey, you might be created for a purpose and God might design you and have a, you know, a plan for you and a ministry for you. And it, but if you don't do it, it doesn't mean it's not going to get done. But what it does mean is you are not going to take part in it and you are not going to have that blessing of being used by God and being, you know, being instrumental in his work. Because he's not going to make you, you know. But anyway, all that to be said, that sometimes we come with a little inflated view of ourselves. And here's the great thing, though. When we come to him with a deflated view of ourselves, well, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we come to him saying, look, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I have nothing to offer. But I know this, that you offered yourself for me that you laid down your life for me. I heard a song not long ago, and it was something along the lines of, you know, I don't know why he loves me. You know, I don't know why he loves me. And, and I thought like, it's kind of a weird song. Like I can't, you know, I can't explain why, you know, the, I can't explain your love for me. I, I don't know why you love me. You know? And I thought, well, this is a really strange song because it's almost like self lamenting. Like, Oh, I'm such a scumbag. God doesn't, I don't see why God loves me. Well, I know exactly why God loves me. And I, and I hope you do too. I hope you know this too. But if you don't, I'm going to tell you why. You know, God loves you not because you're so lovable and adorable and cuddly and sweet and wonderful. God loves you because of who he is, right? You know, I don't see how a God like you could love someone like me. Well, that's because you don't see that he's a God of love, right? He loves you. And he, you know, he, he loves you. Well, how do you, how do I know he loves me? If Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Yeah. Some kids told me that long, that long ago. I was asking a question I ask oftentimes. And that is, how do you know God loves you? And they said, um, um, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Okay. What does the Bible say? Well, it was interesting though. So I got some other answers. I had somebody else say, because I have a family. And I thought, I'm so glad I asked this question because here's the thing. What if you didn't have that family? Would God still love you? What about people that don't have family? Does God still love them? Well, the kids are all like, well, yeah, yeah. You still love me because that's not it. So what does the Bible say? When we say Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, what's the first verse you learn? I mean, the first verse pretty much every Christian learns is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how much he loves you. That's how you know he loves you is because he gave his son for you. How do I know Jesus loves me? Because he died for me. 
honesty, it's about who he is and his character, not about how wonderful or how lovable or how adorable I am. That's not really that relevant because see, God's love is about who he is. And to me, this is a beautiful thing. When I recognize, wait, wait, God's love, God loves us because that's who he is. And so that's kind of my, what I strive to do as well. And maybe, maybe you can apply this in your own life as well. As you say, you know, what, I'm going to love people. I'm going to love people because that's who I am, right? I love people because I love the Lord. I mean, that's how I'm able to love people is because I love him. You know, it's that recognizing the lost and brokenness of people and recognizing the value that they have as, you know, image bearers of Christ, you know, created in his image, loved by him. If, if he loves them, I ought to love them. And uh, not because they're lovable, but because that's his character. And as his child and redeemed in him uh, with my new nature and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you know, I, I'm going to love them because that's who I am. And so I would encourage you to have that attitude. You know, I'm going to love people because that's who I am, you know, and not fall into this trap that happens in so many churches where, where people become a commodity and we're encouraged to love people because that's the way we can get people to join the, to join our church club and to help pay for everything. You know, it's a tragic thing when we start looking at people for what they can give the church rather than looking at people and saying, oh man, the church has so much to offer you. You know, we want, we want to be there to love you, to support you, to encourage you, to point you to Jesus, to uh, help you in your walk, to, you know, to what, whatever we want to be there. We want to love you rather than this attitude of we got to, we got to show people love so that they'll join our club and pay our bills because that's just not love. That's, um, manipulation so hey don't manipulate people don't put on a show a big show so that you can take their money that's horrible don't be horrible love people because jesus loves you and he loves you because that's who he is and so love people because that's who you are talk to you next time